Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome in, welcome into the Arrowhead Attic Podcast, Thursday edition. Patrick Allen here, as always, joined this week by my guy, Adam Best, who's uh, who's helping me out. I'm a little under the weather, so if I don't sound like myself, I think it sounds good. Like, the, the we have a much lower bass here going, Adam. I think, I think uh, you know, I, I sound like hey, one of those, the those movie Isaac stars. Isaac Hayes, right? You know? A little Isaac Hayes, yeah. Uh, a little Barry White. Um, I'm feeling it. <laughs> I'm I'm like the most unlike Barry White of any human being who's ever been alive. Um, but uh, I'm hanging in there. I've got a special recommendation for all of you as we're, as we're starting to enter, you know, cold and flu season. Summer's wrapping up. It's coming. These cough drops. Have you ever had these, man? I found these at the, at the drugstore the, a couple sicknesses ago. And I bought them because they looked like the, like the oldest kind of like crustiest like they weren't like all fancy and glossy like halls you know like they look like the, the like the kind of like old school shaving materials that your your grandpa probably used you know it reminded me of that they're called a fisherman's friend have you ever seen these things no they look like you got them at a dime store or something dude they're like the original flavor of these these are the strongest cough drops i've ever had in my entire life and I'm like seriously, it's like it's like they were made in a nuclear reactor. They taste terrible. Um, but they clear my sinuses, they help the sore throat. Like I've had one of the worst I had the last time I was sick, I had one of the worst sore throats of my entire life. I wanted to kill myself. It was horrible. And I these were the only things that brought me any comfort. They clear your your nose right up. I'm telling you, if you can bear the taste of them, get the original. Don't buy like the honey. Because the honey ones are like half the strength. You got to go OG original fisherman's friend. Not paying the podcast. Not yet anyway. Highly recommend it. Producer Sean's with us today and says, yes, they clear out the sinuses big time. They're the shit. I'm telling you, I'm addicted to them. All right. I'm in. Next time I'm sick. Hopefully that won't happen anytime soon. Yeah, man. I hope not. I hope not. It's not fun. This is my second cold since... Uh, 
since COVID. Yeah, Hunter in the chat says old school cough drops. They are. They just like they just feel like, you know, um, I don't know. I can't. I can't. I, I can't find the like exact word for what I'm looking for. But like, you know, that some of that just like old school stuff they used to use. It was just like no frills medicine and like, you know, shaving creams and stuff like that, like Barbasol and like you right. know the the talcum powder. You know, you just like, I feel like, you know, I feel like this is what my, what my grandpa would have used. It's got an old timey vibe. Yeah. Old timey vibe for sure. Um, yeah. Maybe some alcohol in there. Definitely. Yeah. They just give you some whiskey heroin says Joshua in the chat. Shout out to everybody who's watching on YouTube. If you guys could do us a favor and hit that thumbs up button, let's get some chiefs fans in here to talk ball. We, this is a preview show, Adam. We got a game this week. I'm super excited. We're going to break down the game a little bit, talk about some of the positional battles we're going to be watching um and then we're gonna we're gonna touch on uh we're gonna touch on this uh eric berry jamal charles hall of fame potential i think that should be a fun discussion and we'll we'll, we'll power rank some some quentin tarantino films i know you're a big film guy you're gonna show him the tattoo there it is it's gorgeous i've got in the same spot uh... It's not it's not film related, but um, all right. Before we get into the discussion, I got to let you know that um, we've got a special deal because there's a Chiefs game this weekend. So attention, Chiefs fans, a special deal. It's an unbeatable offer from Caesar Sportsbook. New customers can get their first bet insured up to twelve hundred and fifty dollars using our code Arrowful, A-R-R-O-W-F-U-L-L while signing up. Not only will your first bet be completely insured, but you'll also be directly supporting the podcast. Isn't that amazing? So if you haven't already joined Caesar Sportsbook community, now's the perfect time to make your move. Just remember, enter our code, Arrowful, during sign-up. Place your first bet. This offer is available only for new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in a legal gambling state. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. And if you have already signed up with Caesars, you can go to arrowheadaddict.com slash bets and find more betting offers and ways to support the show. It really helps. It really, really does. So uh, if you're going to do it, keep us, keep us in mind. Appreciate you. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
How, how, before we get into the cheese talk, just like how you been doing, man? How's your show been going? It's I feel like it's been a minute since we caught up. Yeah, it's going it's going well. I kind of treat Wednesday like a laboratory. We do a lot of funky stuff. We have uh, a lot of guests from outside the kingdom that are kind of specialist, whether it's like Brad Spielberger uh, from PFF, their cap expert, or Matt Harmon, the the receiver guru. Uh, just want to continue to get smarter myself and give the audience as much information as possible. And, and also we try to have a good time. So, uh, and speaking of a good time, I finally watched Into the Spider-Verse 2 last night. Um, oh, was it good? Have you seen it? I oh, haven't even seen the, the first the, one. The, the sensory experience is just... Okay. The, the care and attention to detail that they put into the animation. And it, it's just like nothing I've ever seen. So. I gotta check it out. I didn't. I haven't seen the first one yet, so I'm slacking there. I did see Oppenheimer, enjoyed it as a piece of filmmaking. I'm a big Christopher Nolan guy. Not my favorite. Uh, just I just didn't think is that interesting. Like like if you like history, it's interesting, but it's not like uh, it's not rewatchable like Inception or Interstellar. I like I I don't see myself going back to it to watch Oppenheimer again. Have you seen it? No, no. I I uh, I went to see Barbie instead. Barbie looks like it's um, and, a little it, more fun. It is very rewatchable, um, but I'm definitely going to check out Oppenheimer. the The three hour time kind of uh, scared me off, and the wife's not interested. So I'm going to check it out when it comes out uh, uh, streaming. Yeah, good good performances. Uh, speaking of performances, we got some people in the in the chat asking cheese questions, which is what we're here to do. Uh, Barbecue vibes says he finally made it to a. Uh, live show said what's our defense without chris jones not a threat i mean i i agree with that right i know you're really annoyed at this situation I, i've seen you talking about it on twitter we've debated a little bit i'm a little bit more laid back about it like i don't like it but i feel like it's just it's negotiating it's gonna get done it'll be fine but i mean this probably goes without saying right but like the chiefs if they don't have chris jones their super bowl chances take a massive hit right yeah they're a bottom 10 defense and I'm a little frustrated because I don't understand it. Most of the time, I think fan bases are quick to turn on players without questioning the motives of billionaire owners who aren't exactly known for not crushing employees and not driving a hard bargain and, and frankly, not being greedy. Uh, so when Clark Hunt spends over the past five years, he's 22nd in cash spending, uh, not everyone knows this, but you can circumvent the cap. You can kind of work around it if you get aggressive, if you get creative. The Chiefs don't really like to do that as much as other teams. I don't think they should do it as much as, say, the Saints. Um, but I am a little bit worried because, for instance, Buffalo is spending $60 million more million than us. I'm not saying we should do that, but we've been so good. We've put our rivals in a place where they are doing some crazy shit trying to beat us whether it's bringing in deshaun watson going forward on you know fourth and fifth fourth and sixth every time it's one of my biggest worries about the chiefs is both in game management and like cap management team building that they just don't ma match the aggression of other teams and i think one of the reasons i'm worried about that is patrick mahomes is so good that if you're clark hunt you're probably thinking we can get away with not spending that much. We've got the best player probably 
from a talent standpoint to ever step on the field. So I just get worried when I see them driving a hard bargain with a future hall of famer who really had a great argument for the defensive player of the year award last year. And I think um, a lot of chiefs fans are like, we have a 10 or 15 year window. Uh, let's not overpay Chris. Uh, let's not kick the can down the road, all that kind of stuff. We don't know. We don't know that we have a 10 or 15 year window. And we also don't know if Patrick Mahomes will ever play with two players as great as Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones, especially while Andy Reid is still here. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know the, the whole cash spending thing, when the chiefs, like when they sign somebody, the way the salary cap stuff works, it's a little, it's very confusing, but like, it all comes down to that. You always see this when somebody gets a big deal. It's a, everybody asks, well, what's the guaranteed money? Um, now, if they're on the team and they play, everything counts against the cap. But um, you often see these big signing bonuses stretched over. Uh, what they can do is they can take those signing bonuses, and the signing bonuses are guaranteed. And they get paid right away often. But then they, they can spread the cap hit across the multiple years of the contract. So, you know, you could some have somebody earning a base salary of like a million dollars and spread that, you know, pay them a lot and then spread the impact of that across the length of the contract. And when the money is guaranteed, whatever is guaranteed in the contract, even if it doesn't get paid out right away, the, the, the team has to put that money in escrow for that player. And they, that's it. It has to be there and has to sit there until they get it paid out. So some owners like the Bengals ownership group, which is not very rich, right? They're, they're often looked at as being pretty cheap. Uh, so that's where you get into this cash spending. Now, Clark Hunt and the Hunt family, they're, they're billionaires. Like they, the money, they have the money to do pretty much whatever they want. Uh, we're talking about, you know, couch cushion money here when it comes to Chris Jones, right? right. So I understand your frustration there. It's the, the thing for me with those types of arguments is I, we don't know exactly what the chief's budget is for cash spending. We can look at what they are spending and say, okay, like it might be lower than other teams. But what we don't know is what's the relationship between Brett Veach and Clark Hunt? Can Brett Veach go to Clark Hunt? And maybe there's a budget and Clark says, yeah, like this is the budget. We think this is reasonable for our cash flow, whatever. But like if you, you know, whatever you need, you come to me and let's talk about it. Now, a good leader, a good manager, if Clark Hunt is that, and I haven't seen too many indications since he's taken over the team that he's a bad leader. I think he's made up, you know, mostly good decisions. Um, a little bit of, of a rough start, but but mostly good decisions. You know, a good leader is going to, is, is, if he's got the money and Brett Veach comes to him and says, hey, listen, I'm not always asking for money. I'm pretty frugal with this stuff. But like this Chris Jones guy, we need to make this happen. And here's what he wants. And I'd like to exceed the budget for the next couple of years. A good leader in Clark Hunt is, is going to let him do that. I believe, and I have, I have nothing to back this up. This is just how I feel by watching the way that the Chiefs operate. I feel like if Brett Veach wants that money, he can get it. And I think that the actions of the team over the last few years, not paying Orlando Brown, trading Tyreek Hill, this tough negotiation with Chris Jones, I think Brett Veach has earned himself some he's earned himself some equity, right? Um, you know, and what they call it in politics, like you're, you're, you know, you've got, you've got political points to spend, right? He's got won a, two, got a mandate, right? Right. He's won two Super Bowls. 
So he has a little bit more leeway to, to drive a harder bargain if he wants to, if he wants to try to maintain cat flexibility around Patrick Mahomes. And he can do that. Um, that's what I think is happening here. I think Brett Veach is, is smart, and I think he's trying to drive a really hard line to make sure that he does not hamstring himself cap-wise later. And that if he wanted to do the cash thing with Chris Jones, or if he has to, I think he could get the money. But we don't know. There's just no way for us to know what that relationship is. Well, I think there's a locker room aspect of this too. If you're not going to pay Chris Jones the way he put the team on his back in the AFC championship after the year he had last year, just best year of his career. He's 29. Uh, I I don't think there's any signs of slowing down. We're going to get a good three years out of him barring disaster. So I think the other guys are probably looking around like, you know, if Chris Jones isn't guaranteed to come back, outside of Pat and Trav, who really is. The other thing about Veach and, and being kind of frugal, Veach has been on a draft heater, on an absolute tear. Yep. And we've seen this before with the Seahawks and John Snyder. We've seen this with the Saints and Mickey Loomis. It does not last. It cannot last. So if the Chiefs are not willing to splurge now that Patrick Mahomes' contract is more expensive and they hit a, a a draft cold streak. We might have a little bump in the road on this dynasty. That that's just my concern. Um, you're right. We don't know, but uh, I, I'm kind of scratching my head right now. Yeah. And I agree with you there. I do worry about the optics. Like that's something you've got to consider, um, which is that what do players think? What do free agents think when they, when they see that like guys that come in on a, approve it deal or they're considering signing with the chiefs. Um, are they looking at a situation like that and saying, Hey man, these guys don't want to pay anybody, you know, and if money's important to them, they go somewhere else. And if they're choosing between Buffalo and Kansas city and Buffalo's throwing out a bunch of guaranteed money, they go to Buffalo. So it's, it's, it's definitely part of the calculus, but I will say that like Brett Veach to this point, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. He traded Tyree kill and they won the Super Bowl, and and he he drafted but well. And is that I, I would ask is that <clears throat> causation or is that correlation? And what I always go back to, Patrick Mahomes is so ridiculously good. He's such an alien that I think we probably give everyone else on the entire roster and in, in the entire building too much credit and not enough credit to him because he's just that damn good. Uh, so he also let Ward walk, Hitchens walk, the Honey Badger walk, some really core parts of that locker room. So at some point, I know you don't want to hold on to guys for sentimental reasons or, you know, keep them too long. Right. But I do think there is a strong locker room aspect of this. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and look, I think it, it it all goes together, right? Like, yes, they've got Patrick Mahomes, but Brett Veach knows they have Patrick Mahomes. And so he, a good general manager is going to know what he has and, and know how to manage that well. And everybody's chipping in. You know, he made the trade for Tony. Tony ends up being a key contributor in the Super Bowl, helps him win the Super Bowl. So, you know, um, it, it all goes together. And right now the whole organization is on a heater. And I do think there's an element here of the fact that at the end of the day, Brett Veach knows what Chris Jones can do. He doesn't care if he's in training camp. Chris Jones knows what he can do. He knows the defense. They've said this in the public. And 
it's just sometimes it's an inevitability of negotiation where it's like, look, if, if Chris Jones is like, yeah, I can hold out pretty much all of camp and then I can show up and not miss a beat. And Brett Veach is like, that's the only bargaining chip he has because he's under contract. Look, if this results for Chris Jones and his agent and Chris Jones getting like an extra million dollars, that's a million dollars. So, you know what I mean? If they call Brett Veach's bluff and they hold out, you know, and they get another million dollars, maybe he shows up and everything goes fine. What you what you don't want to see is what's going on in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor and their their crazy owner. And, and you don't want bad blood. And I don't. There might be a little bit of annoyance between these two parties, but I mean, Chris Jones tweeted yesterday, Casey, I love you. Like, you know, he said he wants to be in Kansas City. I think it's going to work out. What I will give Clark Hunt a lot of credit for is he is an engaged owner. He clearly cares about football and the team's legacy, but he's not one of these egomaniac helicopter owners either who can't right. take himself out of the equation and oversteps boundaries and doesn't let the football people do their jobs. I'm looking yeah. at you, Jerry Jones, yeah, uh, and, and various others. Yeah. Uh, so I think he does deserve some credit. I just wish Patrick Mahomes is such an advantage that if we were as aggressive as these other teams, they might not have a chance. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think you're right. And that's one of the reasons why I do think Clark is a, is a good owner and probably a good leader because he figured out he, he doesn't do those types of things. He doesn't meddle. He, hire, he tries to hire smart people and lets them do their job. So, you know, let's see. Let's see it all. It's working out so far for everybody. So, um, all right, let's get into uh, this game. Um, Chiefs at Saints, preview and predictions. Now, we're going to make some predictions just because it's fun, but we know they're, they're pointless. It's a preseason game. It doesn't matter. Nobody's really trying to win. They'll win if they can, but it's about getting guys some scrimmage reps and and and, and practice. So, uh, Adam, I wanted to ask you. Chiefs will be on the road in this one. Um, I wanted to go through, you know, some some of the positional battles that we're rolling and what you're looking to see from people and how you think things will shake out. But the the, the first thing I wanted to ask you is some guys like there was a report the other day that Dak Prescott may not play in the preseason at all. Patrick Mahomes and the chief starters play in the preseason, you know, even in, in, in last year, first game, Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, they were all in there. And the first preseason game, I think Mahomes had one series, let him down to it. It was like six of seven for 70 yards or something, got a touchdown and, and they got him out of there. How do you feel about Andy's sort of old school approach to the preseason to put Patrick Mahomes on the field in a meaningless football game? Frankly, I hate it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the preseason. I hold my breath the entire time. Uh, I think both the Chiefs fan, the fantasy fan, you just don't want to see the season compromised by losing one of our stars or really a star, even for our rivals. I, I didn't want Joe Burrow to get hurt. I want to take the Bengals' best shot and say we're better than them, right? Uh, so it makes me nervous. Patrick Mahomes, I think he said he likes to take a shot and then get out of there. I don't want to see him take that shot. You know, he was getting lit up at a preseason game last year. Uh, my nerves can't really handle that. So with those guys, Chris Jones, Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, I don't, I don't really get it. Unless it's like a leadership thing where, you know, they don't want to put themselves above the rest of the guys. But the injury risk for me is just too great. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't love it. I don't want to see Patrick Mahomes getting touched ever, not even in regular season games, but um, I get it. You know, Andy's an old school guy, and he probably thinks the best way to get ready to play football games is to play some football. And injury is an inherent risk, and I think guys are a little more careful in in the preseason. You know, they don't try to light up quarterbacks and stuff like they might do in the regular season because, you know, everybody knows that their livelihoods are on the line. Um but I do think it probably helps a little bit, particularly for defensive players to get in there and like tackle, really try to tackle somebody, not practice tackling with your own team. But like, you know, you see a lot of teams start slow sometimes or sloppy. And right. I think it's good for Mahomes to get out there and get a few reps with some of these young receivers. He's got a new group um, by and large out there and for some of the defenders as well. So, but I think you got to be really careful and draw the line and Andy in that, in that, you know, second preseason game or whatever might have him play a whole half. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on this one thing uh, with Patrick Mahomes and it's how do you evaluate Justin Ross and Rasheed Rice? If they're playing with Blaine Gabbert and backup linemen against backup defensive backs, it makes it a little bit harder to, to know where they're truly at. It's not as strong of a barometer as playing with the first stringers. So, um, yeah, I would like to see a little bit of that. And keep in mind, too, he's got Patrick Mahomes has two new tackles. It's going to take him some time to build up some trust in those guys. Um, you know, particularly the way Donovan Smith played last year, like <clears throat> he's got to he's got to get a feel for when is this guy beat out of his periphery, you know, like where, you know, he probably knew he eventually learned when Orlando Brown was beat and what he needed to do and when he needed to climb the pocket, when he needed to roll out and what is what he sees out of the corner of his eye with these other guys, you know, maybe Donovan's got more recovery speed than, than, uh, than Orlando Brown jr. Does. So he's got to learn that. And, and, you know, if that leads to him not taking some massive shot in the first or second game of the season, I think there's a little bit, it's a little bit worth the risk in, in that type of situation. Yeah. It's hard not to have better recovery than Orlando Brown jr. That's true. The thing that kind of makes me feel a little bit better about Mahomes is this is the best quarterback in the NFL and not taking sacks. So he gets sacked about as much as someone like Jared Goff, but the big difference is he invites pressure almost more than anybody. So it's sort of miraculous, his feel for the pocket. And we've got to trust Patrick that, uh, he can avoid taking some monster hits. Also, knock on wood, he's a pretty durable dude. Usually when he takes takes a lick and is kind of banged up, he is not uh, sidelined for very long, if at all. Yeah, he's Gumby. He is Gumby for sure. All right, let's get into some of these positional battles here. Um, first one I wanted to ask you about is the tight end battle. With with uh, Obviously, we know who the tight end is. This can be Travis Kelsey, but... Uh, Matt Bushman, who's been a little bit of a fan favorite, um, was looking really good in the preseason uh, last year and then you know, suffered an injury and knocked him out. So we know that Mahomes is in there. We know that Noah Gray is in there. But when the when the depth chart came out, of course, it's unofficial. Matt Bushman was, was up there and Jody Fortson was kind of in the back. And then, of course, you got Blake Bell. He's floating around. So I have here tight end battle Bushman versus Bell versus Fortson. And with a lot of people thinking the Chiefs could keep a lot of running backs and wide receivers and could be the odd position out here, how do you see that playing out? 
Well, I know Chiefs fans aren't going to want to hear that uh, first ballot Hall of Famer Jody Fortson might be on the bubble, but I think he's very much on the bubble. And the reason why is utility. We don't have a fullback on the roster anymore. He went to Denver. So we're going to need our tight ends to do some fullback type stuff. And then you look at Blake Bell. They don't like to have Patrick Mahomes do quarterback sneaks after that knee injury. They just don't do it. He hasn't done one. Not the a bell, no, he hasn't. The belldozer can do that. So it's really all about utility. I think Blake Bell's kind of getting up there and Matt Bushman has turned some heads. So uh, I, I think Fortson might be the long shot here. We kept waiting for that breakout, right? These past couple of years thinking he was going to be this big red zone target. And we saw glimpses and who knows if that injury just changed the course of his career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Um, he's been a bubble guy for a few years. He's been a great story, but it, I think it comes down to him and Bushman in this situation. I mean, Bell's getting up there a little bit, but just his blocking utility, like you mentioned, you know, he's old, reliable. I could see them bringing him back for another go around, especially if they really like Bushman and they think he can add another dimension for them as a pass catcher, which Bell's serviceable, right? And in a spot here or there, he'll catch a ball for you. But like if Bushman is a little bit, has a little bit more juice, you know, I'm not saying I want anything's going to happen to Travis Kelsey and I'm knocking on wood and I hate to even mention it, but like throwing to the tight end is a really big part of what. Patrick Mahomes has done in this offense the entire time he's been in the league. So if it comes down to it, I want backups on backups at that position, just in case, especially given the way, you know, there's no Tyree kill. So you need, you need a lot of bodies there. And a hidden advantage for Blake bell is that this roster has eight skill players that no longer play quarterback that played quarterback in college or high school. And Andy's, offense is so difficult to grasp. I think he likes collecting these guys who really understand the game from a quarterback's perspective. Yeah. And, and it, it, I think it's just a small advantage in, the, in a game of inches. You collect every advantage you can get. So um, yeah, especially now that Fortson is looking at Justin Ross, uh, Rasheed right. Rice, some ball winners, some bigger receivers that are ball winners that could make him kind of expendable. I think he has reason to be concerned. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. Um, we're going to see how it all plays out. Keep an eye on Bushman and Fortson and how they're used in the, in the preseason. It's going to be one to watch. Okay. Next up uh, is the battle at tackle at backup tackle. So, you know, we know who the two starters are. The Chiefs drafted Wanya Morris, who's been on the show. Great kid. Really liked him. He uh, was a third-rounder. Says he needs to work on his consistency. And you got these guys, sort of a collection with Lucas Nyang, Prince Tiga Wanhongo, and Darian Kennard. Kennard, I believe, was a fifth-rounder. So, obviously, you would think the leader in the clubhouse is Nyang. He was a, you know, he was a serviceable starter for this team briefly at right tackle, but he's just had injury issue after injury issue. The chiefs, uh, you know, I was told were really high on him a couple of years back, but at this point, if they like what they see in one Morris, maybe there's only one of these guys who's going to make the roster. 
Is there anybody you've got your eye on out of that group? Not really. I wish I could say yes, but I think Kennard, most of the draft community had him projected as a guard coming out. So I think maybe he's been miscast at tackle and he's such a good player and he's got the frame. I get why they wanted to try it, but it sounds like it's not working out. Uh, Prince, I've never taken too seriously in terms of becoming a long-term starter. I just don't think that's really in his range of outcomes. And then Niang, he's got this Kadarius Tony syndrome. He's, he's like a Sammy Watkins at tackle. He can't stay on the field. Yeah. So I just can't put any faith in a guy that can't stand the field. And uh, I'm a little injury prone myself, so I'm not going to make fun of the guy. I feel bad for the guy, but he's just proven to be unreliable from a health standpoint. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. And obviously, look, the Chiefs, watch what people do, right? Not what they say. And if they thought that that Lucas Niang was was healthy and good to go and, and going to be reliable – you know, they went out, wouldn't have went out and got themselves a right tackle. So the draft um, is, is one of the times these teams can't lie because they tell us, they tell us their true intentions with their behavior. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, and with the amount of corners they've been taking might tell you what their thoughts are about re-signing Legereus Sneed, but we'll, we'll save that for another day. He's injured right now. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, looking at these tackles, I think Yang still probably makes the team if he is healthy, uh, just given that he's got starting experience and there are some things that they like about him. And in a pinch, if they had to, they could they could use him. But really what you should be keeping your eye on is is how many snaps does Wanya Morris get? Because that's a you know, that's a that's a semi premium pick there in the third round. And they're thinking, okay, we like this guy, not enough to take him early, but enough to take him in that front end, you know, before we get to the middle of the draft that we think if we can work on him with our coaches for a year, maybe he's your starting left tackle and can be a swing guy for you this year. So I know it's hard. I, at least it is for me when you're watching these games, not to follow the ball. But if you see one Morris in there, try to get a look at his reps or, you know, tape the game and then watch, watch the ball the first time and then go back and then just watch, you know, pick a player and watch his reps. So, you know, you, if you if you can't get access to the all 22 you can usually get a good look at how the linemen are playing so uh that's my recommendation to to all the fans out there what's interesting to me about morris is he's yet another offensive lineman from oklahoma and they have a heralded offensive line coach his name is bill bedenbaugh and i'm sure andy heck is kind of very particular in the kinds of guys he likes i mean especially at tackle him and Andy Reed likes certain builds. So I think they probably have the expectation of him coming in and eventually being the left tackle and replacing Donovan Smith long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope so, man. I, I was interested cause I'm an Ohio state guy. I was really interested in Dewan Jones who I think went to Cleveland. Um, and I was watching him in, in that, in the hall of fame game and he's just enormous. This guy, um, he is God, what he's, he's like six, eight or something. Like he's an absolute monster and he can move. And so he's not perfect, but like, he's just so big that if he stays healthy and develops a little bit, like you just have to run around the guy to get I to the quarterback. We, 
I think the issue with him that I always thought is we had a guy like that and he was proven not to be the best scheme fit because of the extended plays. But I, I do think he's got a pretty high ceiling. There are a lot of guys in the first round that I like, but what are you going to do? They had a run on tackles. I imagine that they wanted to get one earlier than they did, but sometimes you just have to let the draft come to you and not force the issue. Yeah, producer Sean came through for me. Six eight three seventy five. I mean, Jeez. and he's just now he's going to get into an NFL strength and conditioning program for a year. I, 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 if I was Deshaun Watson, I would be very happy to have someone that enormous. If he turns out to be, you know, not a not a stick in the mud over there, uh, watching, uh, you know, watching my back, and 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 if I was a running back too. And that guy gets out, like, good luck. <laughs> good luck if he gets his hands on you. Um, that'll be a fun one to watch. All right, let's get to the receiver battle now. So this one, I think, is really interesting because it really comes down to how many players the Chiefs decide to keep on the active roster at the wide receiver position. And there's a lot of – there. There's I, so I, I broke this down into the locks, the vets, and the young hype. All right. So in the in the locks section, that's four spots. That's MVS, Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, and Rasheed Rice. Those guys are on the team. No matter what, you know, unless one of something horrible happened and somebody went to IR, like they're going to be taking up four of your positions. So then you've got the vets. You got Sterling's crush, Richie James, and uh Andy's crush. And and, and Mahomes, I think Mahomes likes Justin Watson as well who they brought back. And then you've got the young hype and that's Justin Ross. There's a couple other guys on the roster, but they're not going to make the team. So when you count those up, that's four, five, six, seven. Richie James has been used in special teams a little bit, but Daneric Prince has been used in special teams. Watson has played special teams. Ross has looked phenomenal in camp. Like, how do you see this playing out? Did the Chiefs keep all seven of these guys? I don't think Richie James is in trouble because he's projected as the team's punt returner. He's really the second most experienced receiver on this roster. One of two players to have over 500 yards in a season. He can do a lot of things. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm not as big a fan of Justin Watson earning snaps at the expense of young players like last year. I don't want to see that again, but now that uh, Nazi Johnson is out, he might be the best gunner we have certainly one of them. So I think Dave Tobe is going to want him and probably Richie James on, on the team too. Uh, Justin Ross, I think will benefit from Kadarius Tony probably starting the season inactive they might carry an extra guy. The combination of not carrying a fullback, that might benefit this room. Yeah, it may come down to how they think everybody looks in the preseason on what they do with Tony. Um, there was a report that you know they thought that Pacheco and Tony will be ready for the season opener. You don't want to rush a guy, especially a guy like that who has injury issues and needs as much time to heal as possible. He did have surgery. Having a knee scoped, I've had both of my knees scoped. I think he had some cleanup. I had like a slightly torn meniscus. I had, I've had cartilage cleanup. Like it's Me no too. joke. 
Like no, you, you no. can recover pretty quickly from it and be up and moving around, but it's one thing to, you know, be up and moving around. It's another thing to be playing NFL level football and cutting and all that stuff. You got to go through your physical therapy. It's a lot of hard work. And he, you know, he might not be feeling really good until the middle of the season. Yeah. He's such an explosive guy. The way he plays. I mean, the way he cuts is absurd. Not very many human beings on the planet can do that. And I think it puts a lot of stress on his lower body. And there seems to be some dysfunction there. Like he just can't get everything on the right page. I don't know if it's compensation or what, but I went from this preseason or off season, I should say being really confident that Kadarius Tony was going to have a Percy Harvin like season because I thought he was kind of lost there in New York and he would come here. He would buy in. We have a phenomenal training staff. They would kind of get him right. And we would see the best version of him. And now that he's having this surgery, he's fighting with fans in their DM at like in their DMs, like three in the morning. I'm starting to question, like, is his head ever going to be on straight? Is his body ever going to be right? You know, did we see the biggest moment of his career in the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's concerning. It's concerning to be sure. Do us a favor. If you're watching out there on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Like this video. Uh, it really helps support the show. And if you're listening to the audio version of this later, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Ask us a question in your review, and we'll answer it on the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking at that group, though, so the thing with, with Justin Watson was last year he kind of served as like the backup deep threat to MVS, right? So he would get in there and he'd get his snaps. And I think he had like a really low number. He had like 16 catches for 300 yards, something like that. It was a a really good average when he caught the ball. Um, But he wasn't always efficient when he was out there. He got a lot of snaps. Chiefs have continued to invest in the position. If, if they, for some reason, a lot of people in the chat say, Hey, they're keeping seven. We, we, I think they're going to keep seven. I think these guys all make the team. I'm not as high on Richie James as other people are, you know, he, he, he couldn't hang it. The, the, you know, the, the Giants signed Cole Beasley. I've said this on the show before. And like Cole Beasley is like, basically like Richie James is like poor man's Cole Beasley. Like if they like Richie James, like if they wanted that type of player, why didn't they just keep Richie James? Cole Beasley is like 50 years old. Um, so is he just like, was he just like a veteran camp guy? I don't know. 
I don't know, man. But like, how do you see it working out? Because if Justin Ross is as advertised and the clips I've seen so far so good, are you good with keeping seven and taking some cuts elsewhere? Maybe going only going with two quarterbacks. I'd probably Justin Watson is the guy I'm not enamored by, you know, when we had him and MVS out there together, it's like we had two wind spreaders who were no threat underneath the very limited route tree. He is a super explosive athlete, like direct forward speed. Right. But not a very agile guy. Uh, he had something, he had well over a hundred more targets than sky or routes than sky more, but they had the same amount of targets, which is telling to me, he's not a real target earner out there. He just kind of takes out up space. I've called him an empty calorie receiver. Uh, I, I think he's a good backup. He is a Byron Pringle. You know what I mean? Sure. But we got to see what we have in Justin Ross because, I was operating under the assumption that until this guy's healthy, until he looks like the Justin Ross who flashed early in his college career, we just have to be conservative on our projection. But I think every time we see him make a highlight or continue to get through practices healthy, you have to be more optimistic. And if he gets through a game, an actual game looking good and takes that physical toll, I think we can't, we can't like get rid of him and his potential upside for Justin Watson. Yeah, I think that's. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And that's he's the one I'm the most excited to see as we head into this this preseason. Is can we take the next step? Okay, he's staying healthy. He's looking great in practice. That's that's fantastic. Now, what happens when he gets it? This guy hasn't played in a competitive football game in a long time. And definitely not at this level. So even the preseason guys he's going to be going up against, it's going to be a big jump for him in terms of what he's used to, what he's seeing. And luckily he's going up against some, some good corners that the chiefs have on defense every day. So this is the next step. And I think the chiefs are probably waiting for it too. They're probably, they were intrigued. That's why they brought him in in the first place. Now I'm sure they're even more intrigued after seeing what he's doing in camp. Can he start? Can he make some plays happen? How's his separation? How's his route running? Is he where he's supposed to be as the preseason goes on? Does he stay healthy? What happens when he takes a hit? Does he catch the ball in the game? How, how are those hands when, uh, when you know you're going to get hit? All that stuff is going to matter, but it's looking good so far. And I agree with you. The talent that he has is off the charts compared to, you know, most of the other guys on the roster. So if it can work with him, that will be great. Um, and the last group that I had for these wide receivers is the doomed. And I just put Cornell Powell on there who give him credit. He's hung around. Um, but this is, this is the end of the line for him, right? He's back on the depth chart. They brought in a bunch of new guys. They just must not be seeing what they like from Cornell Powell. Do, do you have a soft spot for him or did you ever, did you ever believe he would make the team? I'm muted. Sorry. Uh, no, but he has a little bit of alligator blood. He's just hanging around, you know? Um, but it took him a long time at Clemson to break out a long, long time. And that's not a great sign with wide receivers and also wide receivers picked. Now 
if you're picked in later rounds because you're Tyree kill and it's behavioral stuff, or you're Justin Ross and you don't get drafted because of your health. That's one thing, but really receivers don't hit very often after the fourth round. Yeah. So I just don't think you can ever count on somebody like that. Yeah. The, those, those late round guys that work out, like they end up becoming like, they're just like really great technicians. Like they'll do one thing really well. Like they'll run really great routes or they block well and they play special teams while they hang around, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out for Powell. But Hey, look credit to him for sticking around as long as he has. And maybe he'll get a shot on one of these young teams. If the chiefs caught him and, and, and you know, I don't, I don't know what his practice squad eligibility is. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to sort of follow his journey as we go forward. All right. What about Nico Remigio? Uh, Nico, I just don't see how it happened. I, I like they he, practice squad is what he screams to me. Um, right. he's been turning a lot of heads and he's somebody who could get poached, you know, but, uh, from, from the chiefs practice squad at some point during the season. But if, if these like, I mean, do the chiefs have the guts if they really love him and they really love Justin Ross to to keep those two and, and, and boot Richie James and, uh, and Watson. That's I what think so. I, I think they're going to want some experience. And remember Richie James played for Mike Kafka. So he already knows the playbook to some extent. There's a lot of the same, uh, terminology and all of that. So I think he's pretty ready to go. And Annie values those veteran receivers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's a practice squad, um, but it's always great. It's always great when you hear somebody doing well in training camp and it's, it's hard not to get excited and hope they make the team. And there's these guys every year, Dar, you know, Darius fountain and um, you know, uh, Bobby Scipio, Bobby Scipio, the, the OG Chief, Chief uh, underdog receiver that chiefs put their hopes and dreams in during the preseason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into our predictions for the game. Uh, Let's do a score prediction for this one. Um, I'll kick us off. I'm going to go one of those weird preseason games. Chiefs 17, Saints 24. I think the Chiefs will put the starters out there for a, for a drive. I think Mahomes will lead them on a touchdown drive and then hit the bench. Uh, and then after that, I think, you know, maybe we see Gabbert for a series or two. And I think the Chiefs struggle after that uh, with, with our guy, Shane Bouchelle back there uh what about you adam how do you see this one playing out last year i got in the habit of never picking against the chiefs so i for the most part i don't really want to do it now chiefs 19 saints 14 just because i have no clue now i think the saints might play their starters more right so that's probably going to be an advantage and one of the reasons they could win but again i just want to see how these guys on the bubble play that's a bigger concern for me than the final score. Yes. And that's why these are our pointless chiefs versus saints predictions. Let us know in the chat. If you're watching on YouTube, what your final score prediction is for this, this meaningless preseason game. But I do think you're right. And that's one of the reasons why I picked the saints to win this one. I think that they'll play their starters longer. You've got a new quarterback. You want to get him used to throwing to Chris Olave. You got Michael Thomas back. He's trying to shake off some rust. I don't know if he'll be out there. Um, but if, if he is, it would be nice to try to give those guys some time to build a rapport. I don't know if he'll, he'll ever be out there. This is the they longest. Say you know, he, he did say he's not 100%. But Oh, my um, God. This is the longest foot rehab 
I feel yeah. for the guy, but I just, I mean, I kind of feel like it's over. He's such a good player, such a good player. And he looked good last year when he, when he was on the field. Tom Hood has it, Chiefs 20, Saints 7. Um, Angry Drunken German says Michael Thomas is slow now. He wasn't that fast to begin with. Hell of a, hell of a route runner, though. Hell of a route runner. Slant um, boy. He's caught slants all day. Drew Brees slant. Drew Brees slant. First down, first down, first down. Um, all right. Let's get into this um, this Eric Berry, Jamal Charles situation. So if you don't know, those guys are going to be up for the Hall of Fame. First, first chance they have. There's a lot of people that don't think either of these guys are Hall of Famers. We've often debated about Jamal Charles. Um, so this will be their first year of eligibility. What do you think, Adam? Let's start with Eric Berry. Is Eric Berry a Hall of Famer? Oh, I don't understand the voters, but I think sometimes they are narrative driven, right? I don't think they're always, I mean, they're not very advanced metric driven. I can tell you that they look at things like story. They look at things like longevity, team success. Team success is way too big of a factor. And I think that hurts Jamal Charles quite a bit. The feather that Eric Berry has in his cap, I think, is that he was named to the 2010s all-decade team. Yeah, that matters. And when you can say you were one of the best safeties over the course of a 10-year span, I think that's a really good argument for you, especially yeah. considering the kind of inspirational side of Eric Berry's story. He was a big-time uh, prospect coming out of Tennessee picked very early. I think he's got a chance. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, look, Pro Bowls, you know, they're, they're like a cherry on top of your Hall of Fame case, but they're not obviously looked upon in the same way that all pros are. All pros matter. Winning the Super Bowl matters. All decade teams matter. So Barry has a great story in that he you know, obviously dealt with the cancer diagnosis came back and then won NFL comeback player of the year. He won three first team all pros in 2013, 2015 and 2016. So the guy had cancer, went through treatment, came back and was a first team all pro. Uh, that is unbelievable. Three um, times. Yeah. And, um, and then he was a five time pro bowler in 2010, 2012, 2013, 2015, 2016. And as you mentioned, he was part of the 2010s all-decade team. I think that's enough to get it done for him. He was a great player. He was a great player for, for a, a, a fairly reasonably lengthy period of time. He overcame adversity. Uh, that defense was really good when he was on the field. I just think it's – I don't think he's going to be a first ballot guy. Don't get me wrong, although it's not the strongest class. Um, I, I just think at some point people are going to pound the table for him. And the way that they do this, if you're not familiar, is like they all these old, crusty sports writers get in a room, you know, and they sit there, and then guys speak for certain players, right? So uh, Bob Gretz, when he used to write in Kansas City, like he used to, you know, he used to be one of the guys who would, who would go in and would advocate for some of the Chiefs players that were up. And, um, you know, someone's going to stand up and be able to tell a hell of a story for Eric Berry and, and convince people 
So I think he gets in. Um, I think that'll be terrific. And uh, I just don't think it's going to be his first year. It might be a while. It might be a while before he gets in, depending on who you go up against. But I do think he'll he'll eventually get in. All right, let's talk Jamal. Jamal is a harder, a harder case when you talk about the things that I just mentioned, which are, you know, they look at how much you won. They look at your accolades. And <clears throat> it's really hard as, as a running back. Um, Jamal Charles... Let's set the table here. He he was a, a two-time first-team All-Pro, 2010-2013, and a one-time second-team All-Pro in 2012. So that's pretty decent. He's a four-time Pro Bowler, 2010, and then uh, 2012 through 2014. And he was the NFL's rushing touchdowns leader in 2013. That matters. Something like that matters. Being the best during a season at your position at something, whether it's, you know, rushing yards leader, that matters. He's got, I think, still the record for yards per carry over a certain number of carries, um, which is also impressive. But what hurts him is the, just the raw numbers when you compare it to other, you know, other people like Frank Gore, who played for 14,000 years, um, Emmett Smith, who played forever. Uh, it, it makes it harder when you compare those guys. But what do you think, Adam? Is Jamal Charles a Hall of Famer? If Frank Gore gets in and Jamal Charles doesn't get in, I'm going to blow a gasket because Frank Gore was never a top five player at his position. That has to matter. I think for me, if I'm a voter, the question I ask myself, is there like a three-year period where this guy was the guy or one of two guys? Jamal Charles, absolutely the answer is unequivocally yes. Yes, he was. And I think there's a strong argument that in the modern era, past 20 years or so, since 2000, let's say, most efficient back over what's expected in the game. All those charts, all those graphs, he's like the Mahomes of running backs. He's always up there in the right corner by himself. Yeah. Such a special player. I always imagine what would have happened if Jamal did a freaky Friday with Larry Johnson or priest Holmes. it would have been insane. It would have not been fair. Right. Yeah. And I think the issue here is on one hand, you have the cancer story beating that the Achilles injury, which is also a more rare and devastating injury with Jamal Charles, the ACL and the knee injuries really set him back and ultimately costed him his career but that's just not a very captivating narrative for the voters. Yeah. <clears throat> He's going to get nailed on longevity. And I think it sucks uh, because I always say it's the hall of fame, not the hall of played for a long time or the, you know, the hall of stat accumulation. And when I the think hall about of durability, I mean, yeah. it's just kind of stupid. <laughs> I like, and, and it's hard because you've got to have a line, right? Like, you can't say, you know, my argument is when I think about the best running backs I've ever seen, ever, Jamal Charles is up there. Like, one of the best running backs I have ever seen. And that's what, like, that's in my mind what a Hall of Fame should be. The greatest to ever do it at their positions. And so when I think about the longevity issue, I think, okay, so if I'm saying it should be the hall, truly be the hall of fame. And if I think someone's the best I've ever seen, 
what if somebody had one really good season where they were unbelievable, right? And then they retired or they got hurt and they were never the same. Do they belong in the Hall of Fame? And my answer to that would be no. But I think Jamal did it long enough for me. And I don't know, like, what's the line? Like, how long do they have to do it to be considered, like, you know, having done it? Um, Sean, uh, Sean, producer Sean says the, the Patrick Willis, uh, uh, Luke Keekley argument. Um, yeah, right? Like, when somebody burns really bright, how long do they have to burn for you to be able to consider them Hall of Fame worthy? I think it's three or four years if you're if you're one of the best guys over that short of a period of time, that's more impressive to me than somebody just sticking around the league for 15 years and being a compiler. Yeah, I agree. And especially at that position, like that position takes such a beating. Guys can't stay healthy. They can't stay at the top of their game for very long. Jamal was just sensational. He was in and people will look at the winning thing too, right? And they'll be like, all his teams, they were all garbage. They never won anything. They didn't win a playoff game. They definitely That's an argument game. for him, though. I agree. That's exactly the point that I'm making. Uh, his, his, he was not running behind a good... He was not running behind Willie Rofe and those boys. He did not have an all-world offensive line. He didn't have a Patrick Mahomes back there who teams were terrified of. He was the offense. When you played the Chiefs in that era... It was like, okay, we got to worry about number 25. That was it. If we could stop number 25, these guys can't hurt us. And they couldn't stop him. Yeah. That Hall of Fame. I think the argument is, would you even briefly consider this guy for the running back Mount Rushmore? I don't think he's on the running back Mount Rushmore, but I think he's one of 12 or 15 guys that you'd, you'd throw his name out there and have to consider because, I mean, the guys he's up there with, yards per carry, greatest two backs of all time, Barry Sanders and Jim Brown. Yeah. So I think probably Adrian Peterson, Marshall Folk, other guys edge him out because they were so great for a longer period of time. But I think he he belongs in that rarefied air to me. I think so. So so what's the what's your verdict? Does he get in? Unfortunately, no, I just don't think. And, you know, another thing that's going to work against maybe both of these chiefs is when Travis Kelsey retires and Chris Jones retires, and we're going to start seeing chiefs get in more and more and more. So there might not be a lot of sympathy there for, you know, chiefs who aren't getting in. When you have the, when you don't have the longevity numbers, like the farther away you get, from your playing days like who's gonna remember you know they're gonna be like oh yeah jamal charles he was really good for a couple years there and you know what i mean and they'll just move on um, i had him in fantasy and he won me a championship you know and yeah. they just that's it yeah yeah i'm i'm with you i don't think he gets in i but i i vehemently think he should because he's one of the best i've ever seen play running back and i'm 40 years old and i've been watching football pretty much my whole life and I've seen some really good running backs, a lot of good running backs on the Chiefs. Like, he's way better than Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson was great there for a couple of years. Like, can you imagine if he ran behind that line? Mm. Like, the, what, you know, and I love Priest. But, like, if, if Jamal Charles had that offense, like, if Jamal Charles was on, you know, Jamal Charles, Trent Green, 
and that offensive line, they don't want a Super Bowl. They would want. I've just never seen somebody slither through an offensive line at full speed like he did. Kind of get sideways and just get north. It was unreal. Just every time he touched the ball, if he didn't run for six yards, I would be shocked. It was it was literally shocking. And you know the house calls. Also a good receiving back, kind of ahead of his time there. Yeah. Yeah, he was terrific. So much fun. Still have his jersey. Still wear it on game days. All right. Uh, listen, everybody, um, if you want some awesome merch, we've got you covered. Get swagged out. Head to the Arrowhead Attic merch store. It's live, and you can visit it right now by clicking the link in the description below. we got everything from shirts to hoodies, beach towels, even a pint glass to, to, to drink your game day grog. But, hey, it's not all. we got a promo code. For this week's listeners only, if you use the code preseason one, that's preseason one. Get you're gonna get 15% off your order today. Make sure to use it fast because it does expire on Sunday on game day. So rep the podcast. That helps us out too and saves a bit of money. I got one of our hats back here. I don't I think I, I, I think we've got this one in the store, this Mahomes goat hat, which is great. Nice. Um I like yeah. that. And we gave this away at our live event in Kansas City to the people that were there. So um Check it out. The link's in the description below wherever you get your podcast. Before we go, we've got to do Patty's Power Rankings. Little little thing we do every week here uh, for fun. Sometimes we're ranking football stuff. Sometimes it's food. But since I was having my guy Adam on here, uh, I wanted to do Tarantino movies. I'm sick. I took a couple days off this week to uh, recuperate. I watched Pulp Fiction. I got Tarantino on the brain. So mm-hmm. I wanted to let, let's rank our top three Tarantino movies, starting with your number three. I'll kick us off, and I'm going uh, with Pulp are these Fiction. Favorite or best? Um, or I, let's go favorite. It's because it, okay. it's, it's, it's you know, it's a it's, it's a personal choice, right? It's subjective, right? Yeah, um, I think he's an incredible filmmaker. I love his stuff. Number three for me is is Pulp Fiction. I don't know that it would have been on my list before and i've seen it multiple times but i really sat down the other day and i was like i put my phone away and i was like i really just want to watch watch the movie and some of the jumping around of the timeline like tripped me up a little bit sometimes and and you know i really just dug into it this time and i was like god this is so good it's just so well done i do think it gets a little slow during the bruce willis chapter um and some of the like some of the time that they spend in the hotel room drags a little bit but i mean pound for pound so many good lines so many iconic moments so watchable uh it's one of one of samuel L. jackson's best performances in my opinion i think he's unbelievable in it so i put pulp, pulp fiction three and that's only because i'm obsessed with number two and number one on my list but it's a tremendous movie yeah i'm not putting it on my list just because I feel like it would be on everybody's list. And I like a lot of the things he's done. I agree with you. Anytime Travolta and Samuel Jackson in particular are off screen, I think the movie suffers a tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love Bruce Willis, by the way. Like I think Bruce Willis is a tremendously fun actor and I like his performance in, in the movie. I just think he got a little, it just bogs down a little bit with the lovey-dovey stuff in the in the hotel room, uh, and, and and I think you're right. Everything else is so compelling and so good that it just 
it's probably more jarring than it actually would be in any other movie. Sometimes I watch through like the Christopher Walken part and then I just don't watch the end. Cause I just like the part with, you know, the, the, the first half of the movie so much. Oh yeah. It, it's all the, the big kahuna burger, the, just the dialogue is it's a Like if you like writing and you like writing dialogue and I've seen interviews with Tarantino where he says like, you know, like he just, he's like, guys don't like gangsters. Don't just sit around talking about gangster stuff, you know, like, or, you know, Robin, like they talk about random stuff. Foot massages, right? Well, yeah, foot massages and, 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 you know, traveling and, you know, stuff like that. Do you know what they call, you know, a Big Mac and uh, it's in Europe? It's just so it's fascinating. Royale with cheese. Yeah. And he does, he does find a way to tell you something about those characters through those, through that dialogue, which is, which is really interesting. Um, But okay. What's your number three? I hope this isn't cheating. I'm going true romance. He wrote the movie. I consider it a Tarantino movie. I think Tony Scott directed it in a way that was faithful to the script for the most part. I think he changed some things, but look at that cast. You've got people like Gary Oldman and Brad Pitt and Sam Jackson, and the list goes on and on. Uh, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, just showing up for a scene or two and knocking it out of the fucking park. Uh, Just an unbelievable movie. I think it's, it's, I think it's still aged pretty well. Uh, that is my number three. Are you a fan? Yeah, solid film. Um, only seen it once. I limited myself to, you know, his 10 or, well, I guess nine at this point movies. Well, if, if we're going to do that, then I will go. Can I consider the Kill Bill movies one or do I have to pick one? <laughs> no, I think he considers them one film. Okay. Then I'll go with Kill Bill. I, just so many great moments in that. The characters uh, were really fun. Uh, just watched it probably 20 times. Yeah. What more yeah. can you say? Yeah. Um, yeah, I considered it. I, I heavily considered it, but um, I just love Pulp Fiction. Watching Pulp Fiction again just really put me over the top. Um, all right, why don't you do your number two? My number two is Jackie Brown. Okay. So I grew up being a very big fan of the author Elmer Leonard. And a lot of his movies have been adapted. 310 to Yuma, Get Shorty, Out of Sight. I'm a huge fan of, the, of that film too. Uh, but I think this is Tarantino's most human film. It's his most understated film in some ways. And Pam Greer and Robert Forster just give the performances of a lifetime. It's kind of got like a just a sweet ending to it. Uh, I don't know. I dig Sam Jackson in that as well. You get De Niro in a Tarantino movie. I mean, who's going to complain about that? So Jackie Brown is my number two. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a crazy cast in that movie too. The people that show up, Chris Tucker, um, uh, Michael know, Bridget, Keaton, right? Yeah. Michael Keaton, Bridget Fonda's in there. Um, yeah, uh, it's not my favorite. Um, it's a solid movie, too. Um, my number two, though, is... So this is where I really struggled because I fucking love this movie. Um, but I just couldn't put it over my number one, and I'll explain that in a second. But number two for me is also the name of the fantasy football league that you and I are in together, uh, The Hateful Eight. Um, 
you know, I come from a theater background and this is very much like a play. Mm-hmm. And I love it's mostly just in the, in the one place. The dialogue is fantastic. A lot of people did, like some people didn't like it. It rubbed them the wrong way. They thought it was really ugly. Um, but I'm like, it's called the hateful eight. Like, what do you, what do you want from the movie? Uh, I think it's so fantastic. Another masterclass from Samuel L. Jackson. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, I thought should have won an Oscar for her performance in that movie. She was unbelievable. So good. He said, I remember he said he wanted like, he wanted a Manson girl in the old West, like for that character. And she just knocked it out of the park. Like at the end of that movie, when she's all just like covered in blood and screaming like a, like a feral animal, like she's so like scary and terrifying, but she also manages like, you know, there were parts of the movie where I was sympathetic towards her. Um, Kurt Russell, just, Oh my God. It's so the performances (laughs) are so fantastic all over the place. Walton Goggins. I mean, you know, yeah, God, it's incredible. He's so good. Um, so many surprising moments, so much tension. There's just like violence is just hanging over the the film the entire time. Like what's going to happen? Absolutely. love the setting. Gorgeous cinematography. The bit with the door just cracks me up every time. I thought it was just one of his, I, I, it's very close to being his best film for me. Okay. Is it time for my number one? Yeah, do it. Unless you've got anything to say on Hateful Eight, even though I just whacked. No, but I feel the need to mention Django Unchained. Mm, Yeah. Primarily because of Christoph Waltz. But also, you know, Jamie Foxx is good. Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Carrie Washington, just a film you can watch over and over and over again. That kind of movie. Yeah. But my number one is Inglorious Bastards. Okay. You know, just thinking about that, the script writing in that, you've got two scenes in that movie, long scenes that I think are Oscar caliber like shorts if you took them out of the movie. There's the the opening with the the farmer in French, in in like Nazi occupied France, right? And he's harboring some Jews. And then the Nazi hunter, Hans Landa, comes in. And it in like bizarrely polite fashion interrogates this farmer. And then you find out the people he's harboring and protecting are under the floorboards. Yeah. And you just so much tension for like 17 minutes. And then the other one is that basement scene in the tavern where Michael Fassbender and all those guys come in and they impersonate German soldiers and they eventually get busted. You know, they play that trivia game with the cards in their head. And I think the thing he he figured, what gets him busted is he says he wants three beers or something, but in Germany, they do it like that. Mm -hmm. And there's just, there's just brilliant things scattered all over that film. And uh, I think Christoph Waltz in that movie, that might be the best performance in a Tarantino movie. So I don't know why I like it so much, but he's so good. So that's your number one. That's my number one, man. I I remember the first time I saw that I was blown away. And I I thought this is to me more impressive than even Pulp Fiction. The tension, uh, his ability to write a scene that, that drives tension 
is so on display in that film. You're right. That opening scene is an absolute banger. My only problem with Inglorious Bastards, and this is why it's not on my list, and this is my problem with Django as well, and with 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 Tarantino at times, is sometimes I just don't feel like he knows how to. He doesn't know how to end his movie, and so then he, you know, it just ends in some some blood splatter, which I'm fine with. I'm a big horror fan. Like I love I love violence in films, but. What what I can't deal with is when characters do things that don't make sense. So when Christoph Waltz's character in Django just get, they go through all of this, and I know he just he hates the guy so much, but he just get, he basically commits suicide. You know, like just gives away the game, and it's the same thing at the end of Inglorious Bastards when they get to Hitler, and like the place is burning down and they're just shooting him, and I'm just like, come on, man, that just just doesn't make sense, like. The characters, I think, in Inglorious Bastards with Hitler, it's a little bit more motivated than this this one guy at a plantation that isn't a threat to the entire globe. I I get it, but it's just a hard leap for me. And He's, you're also talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? I mean yeah. that the way that one ends is just yeah. a complete. I mean, I was laughing. It's funny. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. When it's, when Leo gets out the blowtorch, yeah, it it just it, I feel like he gets to the end of the movie sometimes, and he's like, eh, I don't know. And for me, with like a theater background guy and and it was an actor, character motivations are very important to me. And when I feel like they betray, like, okay, you've turned Hitler into Swiss cheese, like you're you're gonna stand there until you die, like. And I've watched a character or characters through an entire movie. And the decisions they make to throw their lives away for, you know, because maybe angry drunk German nails it. He says, you got to stick to landing. So that was what, what, what hurt me for those. And I'm okay with bloodshed and everybody dying at the end, as long as it makes sense, which is why my number one movie is reservoir dogs. The first movie that we got uh, from, from Tarantino, it was my entry point into his work. I memorized the entire breakfast scene at the beginning of the film, in particular, his entire speech about like a virgin and Madonna. And I just was so enamored with it. The performances are so incredible. Harvey Keitel. uh, I'm a big Tim Roth guy. Love his character in Hateful Eight. Um, And it was just, it was between Hateful Eight and Reservoir Dogs for me. And you can see they're very similar films. They mostly take place in one location. There's a lot of a lot of bloodshed. Um, it's about relationships. I just thought that at the end of Reservoir Dogs, everything makes sense. And everybody doesn't die. Steve Buscemi does not die. He hides and runs away, which, which fits his character perfectly. That's right. who his character is. He's a survival. He wants to survive over all else. Mr. And Pink, right? Else. What's that? He's Mr. Mr. Pink. Mr. Yeah. Pink, yeah. All of the character motivations in that movie make sense um, at the end. All the decisions that happened at the end make sense. And it's like, okay, everybody dies, but you, you understand why. Um, you know, the only one you could call into question is, is, you know, Mr. Blonde just being a complete psycho, but he's a complete psycho. Like you meet him, he's been in prison, and then he does what he does at the bank job or at the jewelry store. And you're like, okay, this dude's a psycho. So why should we expect him not to continue to be a psycho for the rest of the movie? He's unstable. 
Um, and it, you know, it just, it, it shows that they had holes in their, in their planning and putting this crew together. Cause they ended up with a psychopath and a cop um, right. in the midst, but I love Reservoir Dogs. Terrific film. It's great. I mean, his ability again to have tension and be able to entertain and expose just through dialogue. So many scenes are an example of, of that. Like the ending of Kill Bill two, where David Carradine, it's David, not no, it's Keith. God, I get I get those two confused. Is talking about like Superman and all that stuff, and it's yeah. a pretty long scene. His ability to go ten minutes in a room with people talking and keep you glued to the screen is absurd. Yeah, and Angry Junker German says Tim Roth. Tim Roth is so good in in Reservoir Dogs and the opening of that. I mean, talk about. Hey, my name is Quentin Tarantino and I'm, I'm an artor. Like the opening of that scene with him screaming and just like a massacre in the backseat of this car and all the blood. It's so, it's so evocative. Um, I love the, I love the story within a story where he's, he's telling, you know, about the drug deal gone wrong and the cops are telling a story. It, it's just, it's so well done. Um, tremendous film, great music, low budget, totally works all the characters are fantastic uh and it's i think it's a credit to who tarantino is as a filmmaker that like we have different movies on our list you know <laughs> and we both love love his work but we have completely different lists i want to say the only thing that didn't get mentioned was death proof which yeah, yeah. I, I mean i i love kurt russell so if you give me hammy kurt russell just acting like a fool for an hour I'm in. You don't have to twist my arm. Yeah. Death Proof is, uh, it's right up my alley and it's just a blast, right? Like it's, it's just so much fun. Um, but so, it is the worst of his, of his outings, I think. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would agree with that. It, it's like a very specific thing. Um, it's, it's great fun. And you can see his love of, of, of those sorts of B driving movies coming through. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see the next one, which I believe has a name, right? Is it called the movie critic or something like that? I think there was, <clears throat> I think, I think that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, in the off season on this podcast, <clears throat> you're going to get some other kind of talk. So there's your 20 minute film. Uh, God, we just <laughs> being on social media, you just take in so much, so much information that I knew I saw that, but yeah, he sets the movie critic as his 10th, and allegedly final film i don't believe him he's he's too young but i guess we'll see yeah we will all right everybody thank you so much for joining us today this was a lot of fun thank you adam for coming to talk chiefs with me talk a little bit of movies we'll, we'll be back on sunday maybe i will be if i don't get sicker um, but my voice has definitely reached the end of the line so we'll be back on sunday <clears throat> with our pre-game show uh halftime show and post-game show for the Chiefs preseason game at New Orleans. So make sure you stick right here. Make sure you're subscribed to the Arrowhead Attic YouTube channel so you can help us uh, break down the, all the action and everything we see as the Chiefs try to run it back and win back-to-back -back Super Bowls. For Adam Best, for Producer Sean, my name is Patrick Allen. Thank you to all of our members. We will see you on Sunday. But until then, as always, go Chiefs.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.